Now, there's one thing that has been a constant in my life as a child and as an adult, as an adult, and that's the mesmerizing and dulcet tones of Lata Mangeshka. I remember going to watch Indian Bollywood films full of romance, adventure and excitement, but most of all, the beautiful music that could get you to sing along to regardless of the language you spoke. So it was indeed sad to hear that Lata Mangeshka passed away last weekend. It took a bit of time for the news to sink in. Jayang Javeri, the chair of the Social Asian Arts, the South Asian Arts Academy in Hong Kong, was a close friend and personally knew her. And he joins me on the line at the moment to tell me a little bit more about this legendary lady. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Sadia. Thank you very much for coming on the show today. Um, it's my pleasure. You have an honor. You have a vast background in terms of just in the Hindustani music scene. And, and Lata Mageshka, you knew her personally, didn't you? Yes, I did have the honor of and the privilege of knowing her personally. Um, and uh, it all, uh, let me tell you a little bit about uh, how that happened. In 1994, um, she uh, performed in Hong Kong. And that was the time when uh, at the Hong Kong Coliseum. Uh, with uh, a uh, group of 30 local musicians, which called themselves at that time the Hong Kong Philharmonia Orchestra. Um, and, of course, her troupe of 12 musicians. And uh, when she was in Hong Kong, uh, I was uh, involved in that show, and I had the pleasure of spending nearly three to four days with her here. Wow. Um, uh, I mean, and I had known the family a little bit before then, her family, through her brother, Radhinath Mangeshkar. And then through the years, uh, I grew close to some of the members, uh, nephew uh, Baiju Mangeshkar, who also came and performed in Hong Kong much later under uh, uh, in one of our shows, um, uh, is a very dear friend. And that's how I know the family. And I've met her on a few occasions after the show as well. Now, tell me, you know, for people who are not familiar with Lata Mageshkar, I mean, she is a massive name in India and really across yes. the world. Just give me a brief, um, you know, synopsis of her, of her life and her role. Right. So Lata Mageshkar is what is known in India as a playback singer. Um, and um, I'm sure that a lot of your audience knows about this, but some maybe don't that in Indian films, music being a very integral part of the film itself, the actors and the actresses on screen may, very, uh, most often don't know how to sing or are not good singers. That's right. Um, but uh, so therefore they get these playback singers to record the songs and then the actors and actresses on screen uh, lip sync. Now, this is a concept which is not entirely foreign to Western audiences. And let me tell you why. <laughs> I mean, okay, in a movie like Sound of Music, you did have Julie Andrews singing her own songs. But for the, for instance, there was a movie called Meeting Venus. I don't know if you've watched that. It was with Glenn Close. And oh, it was right. about a soprano, uh, an opera singer. Okay. And uh, uh, so, of course, Glenn Close is not a soprano by any stretch of the imagination. So it was Dame Kirite Kanawa, the legendary opera singer, who actually sang for Glenn Close and all Glenn Close did was lip sync to Dame Kirite Kanawa singing. So 
that's that's pretty much what playback singers do so uh, lata mangeshkar came onto the scene in uh, well she uh, her first recorded song was actually precisely 80 years ago in 1942 but it never released but she actually broke onto the hindi film scene in 1947 after the death of her father her father was a great stage actor and singer in those days um the marathi stage Mara- marathi is the uh, state language of bombay uh, the state of maharashtra um had uh, these uh, musicals where uh, the music was more important than the plot or the acting and you had to be classically trained because the sometimes songs would go on for you know half an hour Wow. you know okay uh, yeah because it was just improvisation it was yes. hindustani classical music uh-huh. so people often went to hear hear them sing rather than act you know it was pretty much uh, the concept was very much like the opera right i mean you went to hear the singing not not the acting or the dialogues right. or whatever recitative they might have had in the middle um so she was born to him and she so showed sign of signs of being a prodigy when she was 4 years old and this is when he decided to train her oh gosh and such an early age that's right oh, oh yes i mean it it was it was it was just unreal because apparently the story goes that uh, uh, he had a student whom he he'd give a singing lesson so he had a student over and he told the student hey let's i got to step out for 5 minutes you know carry on with this practice right <laughs> and she was playing in the balcony with marbles or something and she suddenly came into the room and said hey that's not the way it's meant to be sung that's not the way daddy sings that <laughs> you know let me show you how it is and he said oh yeah and she started singing and lo and behold at that time daddy comes back and then he tells her mother that listen i've got a singer in the house you know why am i t- teaching others you know and mm-hmm. so she, according to what she says woke her up at 6 o'clock the next day in the morning um told her to get hold of the tanpura which is the drone instrument that is played right. with hindustani classical okay. music and started teaching her and that's when it and all started and she studied with him until she was 13 wow which is when she di- when when he died oh, and he passed away at a very young age of 42 years and the whole responsibility of her her four siblings and her mother fell on her little young shoulders at that age and she had no option then but she only knew two things acting and singing so you know, she started working in films like within about 3 to 4 weeks of her father's uh, uh passing away okay. um she had to earn money uh and um, uh, then uh, they moved to bombay because obviously uh, you know bombay was even those days uh, uh, a hub of production it was bombay and calcutta but everything was moving to bombay so then they moved to bombay and um, uh, she got noticed uh, as a singer i mean she could not she couldn't she did not want to carry on acting because singing was her forte she got noticed as a singer and a couple of lucky breaks and of course more than that a voice which was just so unusual in its timbre in its uh, uh, um, uh, in in the feel and in in the sweetness that it took off and funnily enough um i mean and she's, she's very young at this age break. isn't she i mean she's yes. still in her early teens isn't she uh, no she she uh, she moved to bombay in her late teens okay. when she was 18 okay. and uh, okay. that is one uh, that's about the time but in those 5 years she kept acting in films which were being produced in pune which wow. is a city which okay. is 100 uh, about 125 kilometers uh, uh, north of bombay uh, in in inland 
um and uh, but then she had to move to bombay because the world of hindi films was there yeah right. marathi films were being produced in pune and uh, she got noticed and now funny enough you might have noticed playing that track ajeeb dasta which by the way um makes for a signature tune for one of your chinese programs right, i just want to find out which chinese program it is <laughs> but i have heard it because i've heard it sitting in hong kong in a taxi where rthk has been blasting out and i've heard that coming out of the radio and i thought yes that's lata you know which is amazing that's fantastic yeah absolutely so you would have heard that you know her voice was naturally very high pitched um and this is something that um, western audiences all find a bit difficult to pick yes, that's um, right. on the ears uh, the difference here being that even at that high pitched voice it did not lose any of its sweetness um now before her the female singers had a medium to low pitch they had heavy voices right and in fact the story goes that she was rejected by a producer for having a high, very high pitched voice <laughs> and the composer who was absolutely adamant that he wanted her to sing said that and he predicted he said to her that you know one day you are going to rule this place take it from me you know wow. he's rejecting you right now but i will make sure that you get a break and this was uh, master golam haider who later mi- migrated to pakistan and did a lot of movies um, and gave a lot of songs to the legendary noor jahan as well um so um that's how her story began and there was just no looking back this is a woman who ruled the roost for 75 nearly 70, 75 years and how years. she started i yeah. was i was watching something just recently just a little video about her and um in that they were interviewing her and she was saying that you know when she first started recording these these songs for films she would sit there for for the whole day in the studio recording one after the other and she said i used to notice that people used to go out and go and have their meals and come back but i just didn't know what to do or where to go and and she would sit there and she would yeah. not eat all day and that's that's very right she did not know that the studio had something called a canteen canteen, that's what she said (laughs) Um, which just shows that she was very very sort of very humble and quite naive in many ways because really she hadn't had much experience before she started not at all Mm. You know what you know what really uh, the other thing was that you know she, little things like for instance she had to go by suburban train to one of bombay suburbs and then from the station to the studio well everybody else took a horse uh, uh, uh cab a uh, horse drawn carriage yeah. uh, she she had she walked it because That's to save the saying. two or three rupees exactly. which she would then use to buy vegetables to take back home that's what she said know? in and the interview was, and i was, was saying, just yeah. incredible the other thing is that what what also helped her is that her mentors the music directors or the composers that worked with her were very protective about her mm. you know yeah. and all she had a lot of self respect I mean this is something that was her family's legacy. You can see the dignity. Legacy. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, you can see the dignity in just her stance. Um the other mm. thing that was incredibly interesting was that you know when she is singing some of these tracks um for Bollywood films she's mm. I mean Urdu I mean her native language is not Urdu which is the yes, language that she yes. uses. But yes. it's amazing the precision that she has. So that must have taken a huge amount of training and discipline. actually you see the thing is that most good singers if you got a good uh, uh, most good singers have a very good ear well developed ear mm. and it is very natural for them to pick up pronunciation with very little effort actually so what happened was that uh, uh, you know one a very famous actor by the name of dilip kumar 
when he first met her he made some uh, some pretty snarky remark on her urdu and she took it to heart and she went to one of the people in the industry and said please get me an urdu tutor so there was a uh, priest a molvi you know who used to come and teach her urdu and he taught her not only how to read write and speak urdu but also drew her into urdu literature uh, urdu poetry etc so at a very young age she developed the sensibilities yes. you know poetic sensibilities that i think really did help her a lot in terms of contributing to her aesthetic sense because you need to understand one thing lata mangeshkar is not simply a beautiful voice which is well trained mm, lata mangeshkar is a, mm. yeah something something it's beyond that she uh, she is the ultimate uh, in, in at least in terms of the hindi film industry she's the ultimate aesthetic she mm-hmm. knew her uh, uh, she knew what beauty meant right. you know innately had a sense of that so yeah that is how she picked up urdu pronunciation and i might add here that uh, in december 2017 when i and a group of my students from hong kong had gone to see her mm-hmm. she held forth with us for i kid you not 15 minutes and telling us on uh, talking to us about the nuances of urdu pronunciation in music wow. while singing It That's was amazing. quite a lesson. It was quite a little seminar for us, you know. I mean, and where some of a few of the tricks of the trade, because you know, spoken Urdu has a lot of guttural sounds. Yeah. Where you know, if yeah, you try and sing with those, right. it does. Uh, it it can be very jarring to the ears. Mm-hmm. So there is a technique of softening them, yet being very faithful to the pronunciation. Yeah. And this is what she pointed out to us. No. So I'm very fortunate to have you actually received a little bit of training from absolutely her. Absolutely honored and privileged to have even you know to have had that time with her. Can I just ask you, Jeng, because mm. I know you teach Hindustani music and yes. you have a number of students here in Hong Kong that you are teaching. Yes. Um now you know with bollywood now you know when you listen to some of the modern music you know the mm-hmm. pronunciation like that whole pronunciation of urdu everything is not so pronounced anymore in many of the tracks for you as yeah. somebody who teaches how valuable is that are we losing it or is it still alive are there still people who want to keep that urdu alive very few of them i think the um, uh, the emphasis at the moment uh, in all bollywood new bollywood music it's become um, and I, i'm not using this as a bad i'm not saying this is a bad mm-hmm. thing it's just a sign of the times mm-hmm. it's obviously we've become very western influenced and way too much so um uh, so it's losing a lot of its indianness the only indianness you can see it I- in it is the lyrics some of them not all of them and uh, sometimes the singing and the vocal nuances and the ornamentation that you hear uh, so the emphasis has definitely shifted they have become far less uh, particular about their pronunciation um and uh, uh, this is one thing that yes uh, i see which is gradually diminishing although there is there are there have been movements to keep urdu and a lot of the other regional languages alive so that uh, the especially urdu because uh, you know, the pronunciation is quite uh, they're very specific in terms of the pronunciation so you do see that uh, it's it's gradually dying down but for me when i teach my students my guru uh, the legendary another legend in the hindustani classical music kishori amunkar uh, was very particular about pronunciation even though classical hindustani music uh, is not lyric heavy um but she she insisted that if you have words you need to be able to 
uh, enunciate them in the correct way mm-hmm. and that too musically so. So she used to use a very interesting word, musifying the words. Mm-hmm. And I think in in terms of Hindi film music, there was no better person than Lata Mangeshkar, uh, who she knew really how to musify words. Yeah. Tell me, you know, you've obviously, you've lived with, you've you've seen her, you've had her music, you are very familiar with that. What are your favourites in terms of some of the music that she did, the style that she did? What would you say are your favourites? Well, I I used to like anything which was steeped in uh, uh, the classical or the semi-classical genres, a little bit which might have the Thumri, which is a very um, sensuous semi-classical genre uh, of Hindustani classical music, or the Ghazal, which was very poetic. Um, uh, those songs of hers, which were steeped there, I mean, there was she was just she just excelled at that uh, that kind of music. I mean, she excelled at nearly everything that she did. I mean, she was. Uh, if there was somebody who personifies perfection in that genre, it's mm-hmm. it's absolutely Lata Mangeshkar. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in terms of the songs, uh, the 50s, 60s, and uh, up to the mid 70s, uh, I like. Uh, I uh, that's that's the, I I tend to go for those simply because um, it's just amazing. It was a time when the ecosystem was such that she had some brilliant composers um, who. St- were able to stretch their creative boundaries simply because they knew that they had Lata Mangeshkar and her sister Asha Bosley to count I on. Could do it. You that's know, and right. that's the other thing. This is the one family in India which, between them, have five civilian honors and the number one in them. Uh, I mean, the the two topmost singers uh, in the same same kind of space. You know. Oh wow! Um, that's that's, that's the other uh, kind of uh, wonder, and so yeah, they, they uh, that's that's those are the songs that I prefer mm-hmm. from that from that era. So now, I mean, she has left us with such a huge array of music that it will you know i've been listening certainly as a child all the way through and i'm still listening and i know my daughter actually like although she doesn't understand some of the lyrics or anything like that just Mm. enjoys it so how do you think now like you know is this going to keep with us is this do we need to make sure that we keep her alive because you know she's that she's there and we can we can access her anytime how do we keep her alive in our life you know i was listening to a program uh, on one of the Indian radio channels um, just the other day. And there's one thing that uh, the uh, presenter said, that Lata Mangeshkar is not a voice or not a, not a singer, not, a, not, a, not an institution. She's a habit. <laughs> yeah. You cannot escape her. Yeah. You yeah. cannot escape her. And there is, no, there is no way that she will ever leave us. You know, that's, that's the, that is the greatest consolation that we have. Um, and it's it's not often that you see a whole nation, in fact, a whole subcontinent, you know, mourning mm-hmm. and literally in tears, mm-hmm. you know, people whom she was not even related to, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, they feel such a, a heavy loss. I mean, her, uh, it's it's we know that it's it's a it's one of those things that is going to be irreplaceable. But, you know, at the same time. She's always going to be there with us. Yes, no, and that's uh, what the wonderful thing is. Um, Jang, I know you're actively involved with with musical concerts and things like that in Hong Kong. Is there an appetite, is there an appreciation for Indian music and culture here in Hong Kong? there, there, There most certainly is. Uh, although it is skewed in terms uh, in, in towards the more the Bollywood 
kind of stuff mm-hmm. but there most certainly is there's a there's an appetite even for fine and classical music um we have done concerts two concerts with the city chamber orchestra where we uh, drew upon uh, uh classic uh bollywood songs which were steeped in either classical or folk music and uh, so, uh and should be no surprise that most of them was her repertoire lata mangeshkar's repertoire because obviously you know that's that's the standard that's the that's the benchmark by which we all all of us go with so mm-hmm. yes uh, there is there we need to increase that uh, i'm glad to let you know that now the i've i've got chinese students as well and a lot of the chinese uh, the local people who've come to our concerts uh, they were surprised at how much they enjoyed the music uh and they relate to it very very well it could also be because they're familiar with the high pitch singing of cantonese opera for yes, instance yes exactly i was just going to say that that there is a a similarity between the pitches there isn't there um and there's one more thing actually i, I might add a very small little thing um which is that the movies of the great indian showman raj kapoor became very f- popular in china and uh, in the 50s they are uh, pr- 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 uh, probably one of the because they were very popular in the soviet union as well because they had a very uh, proletarian kind of message mm-hmm. and obviously lata mangeshkar was his muse she sang all the female oriented songs for him so i have had chinese friends from the mainland who uh, actually could remember tunes from his movies and they'd say oh yeah of course we know hindi songs and here it is you <laughs> know how amazing is that <laughs> and so and then they always told me that that lady she had such a beautiful voice you know she just and they thought it was a lady on the screen singing so yes. i had to explain to them that it is not nargis it's lata mangeshkar yeah well she was an amazing woman and i want to thank you so much for coming on today can i just ask you we've got another um track from lata lined up tell me a little bit about it before we go into it just so that okay, people sure. have some background this this song that i've selected is one of lata ji's personal favorites in fact uh, for many years she didn't sing this at con- her concert but towards the end of last few concerts she did she would always sing this song it's almost sung in a half voice meaning it was it was it's 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 almost sung in a whisper it's very gentle uh, it was filmed on uh, sharbila tagore uh, and she herself was rather a dainty uh, presence on screen and in this film she played the role of somebody who doesn't speak much and um uh, it was uh, this track is from 1966 and it is based on it has relations to a raga called dhani which is very similar to uh, the chinese and the japanese scales and this is one of the reasons why we included this in our last concert but here you will hear the legendary lata mangeshkar herself singing it it's from the film called anupama composed by uh, a bengali composer by the name of hemant kumar written by a very well known urdu poet kaifi azmi and it talks about the whispers of the heart and there's the stuff uh, and how um, the heart sometimes says some things okay well we're going to leave you with that and with that i'll say goodbye as well thank you very much jan my pleasure my honor <laughs>